The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So what I want to do is take a look at the Upanisa Sutta, which is Samyutta 12.23. Samyutta 12 is the book on dependent origination in the Samyutta Nikaya. It's about 95 suttas on dependent origination. It's quite a, quite a good one. This is the 23rd one. The Upanisa Sutta, or Proximate Cause, on the Access to Insight website, there is a translation by Bhikkhu Bodhi of this sutta that has a very, very excellent introduction. Uh, and I would highly recommend you check that out if you find this the least bit interesting. Uh, you won't find it by looking under the suttas. You'll have to look under Bhikkhu Bodhi's name. And it's, it's quite good. But I'll share with you uh, this particular sutta. At Savati, the Buddha says, I say that the destruction of the asavas is for one who knows and sees, not for one who does not know and see. Now the asavas, translated variously as the outflows, sometimes inflows, fermentations, cankers, taints, should be translated actually as the intoxicants. If you look in the Pali English Dictionary that the Pali Tech Society put out, that's actually the first definition. There are three of these intoxicants. Sense pleasures, becoming, and ignorance. I believe it was Eric Kolvig said that you should not think of samsara as a wheel. You should think of it as a drunken party at a casino. You need to sober up, find the exit, and get out. <laughs> All right? And what we're drunk on is sense pleasures, becoming, and ignorance. So these are the asavas. And the ending of the asavas is synonymous with full enlightenment. <laughs> so the ending of the asavas is for one who knows and sees. And f sees what? <clears throat> such is form, such is its origin, such is its passing away. Such are Vedana, perceptions, Sankaras, consciousness, such are their origin, such are their passing away. Okay, so full enlightenment comes from seeing the five aggregates in their arising nature and, and in their passing nature. Now, the scholars are some saying that this first paragraph is a later edition. But I think it's valid. All right? And then we have the sutta proper. Bhikkhus, the knowledge of the destruction in regard to destruction has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. And what is the approximate cause for the knowledge of destruction of the taints? Liberation. So this is kind of a weird transition to get the first part and the second part to go together. I think, actually, this next paragraph is the original beginning. 
Liberation, too, has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. And what is the approximate cause for liberation? Dispassion. Dispassion is viraga. Raga has the sense of passion, but it also has the sense of color or coloring. So graffiti is a raga. Or painting a room, you are raga-ing it. So dispassion, or actually viraga, would be no, having the mind no longer colored by something. Uh, for example, if you're a passionate 49ers football fan, you probably really care, one way or the other, whether the 49ers play in Candlestick Park or they get a new stadium in Santa Clara, right? You're passionate about this. If you don't care at all about football, your mind is not colored by that, right? You don't care, right? There's no dispassion there. So dispassion is necessary for liberation because the things that we're passionate about color our mind. It's this preloaded stuff, and we need to get unpreloaded so we can see what's actually happening. So we need to have our minds no longer colored by things that we're attached to, believe in, etc. Now, dispassion too has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. And what is the approximate cause for dispassion? Well, unfortunately, Bhikkhu Bodhi made a mistake and translated it revulsion. The word actually nibida should be translated as disenchantment. Revulsion is too negative. It's got too much of a negative connotation. And actually what the Buddha is talking about is becoming disenchanted, literally. We are enchanted by the things of the world. We believe they're going to give us lasting happiness, or at least a bunch of happiness. And we can get them again if we lose them. We need to become disenchanted. That spell needs to be broken. Become in disenchanted with the things of the world. We're no longer colored by the things of the world. We are now dispassionate about them. And this is what's going to lead to liberation. Disenchantment, too, has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. And what is the approximate cause for disenchantment? Knowledge and vision of things as they really are. I would translate it as knowledge and vision of what's really happening. Things as they are is a little too static. You might have noticed we don't live in a static world. Things are moving and changing all the time. So I would say that we need knowledge and vision of what's really happening to get the more dynamic picture. But the way you see it usually translated, knowledge and vision of things as they are. Knowledge and vision of what's really happening too has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. That approximate cause is concentration. With a mind that is concentrated, clear, sharp, bright, malleable, wieldy, and attained to imperturbability, one directs and inclines one's mind to knowing and seeing. The Buddha says this over and over and over again. Get your mind concentrated and then take a look at reality. If you 
know and see what's happening, you will become disenchanted. The spell will be broken. You will become dispassionate. Your mind will no longer be colored. And then you can be liberated. Concentration has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. The approximate cause is happiness. <coughs> sukha. Oh, I should, in talking about concentration, I should say concentration is a translation of samadhi. And perhaps a better translation would be indistractability. Concentration has that furrowed brow sense to it. But really, indistractability. You don't get distracted. You know, you can look at something and not get lost. So, indistractability has the cause of happiness, which is a translation of sukha, the opposite of dukkha. Happiness has a has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause, and the approximate cause is tranquility. Tranquility has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause, and that is piti, translated often as rapture. Perhaps glee is a better translation, not to be confused with the TV program now. Uh, but a uh, sort of excited, rapturous happiness. Now, interestingly enough, the primary factor of the first jhana is piti, this gleeful experience. The transition to the second jhana involves calming things down, such that the piti is not so strong and arriving at a more tranquil state. Having tranquilized the situation some, you can calm it still further to where there's just pure happiness. That's the third jhana. And from the happiness, you can let go of that and drop into a state of deep concentration. That's the fourth jhana. And then after describing the jhanas is where the Buddha says, with the mind thus concentrated, etc., one inclines and directs one's mind to knowing and seeing what's really happening. PT has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause. And that is gladness. Gladness is a translation of the Pali word pamoja. And it's more happiness caused by external circumstances. Uh, whereas sukha is happiness caused by a mind that is getting more and more concentrated. Internal uh, causes rather than external Gladness, Pomoja has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause, which is faith or confidence. Not blind faith, but a sense that, okay, there is a path, it can be followed, dukkha can be addressed successfully. Somebody once asked me, what do you have to believe to be a Buddhist? And I said, well, I think you have to believe that there's something you can do to lessen the dukkha that you experience. That's it. If you don't have some sort of faith, some sort of belief that there's something you can do, then obviously you're not going to do anything and the Buddhist path is not for you. But you've got to at least have this 
sense of there's something I can do about this and try it out. And that's what's being talked about as the proximate cause for the gladness, uh, for the, the, yeah, for the gladness is this faith, this confidence. And that too has a proximate cause. It does not lack a proximate cause, which is dukkha. Right? You recognize that there is enough dukkha in this world that you're tired of it and you want some way out. And so you begin stumbling around and finally you come across something that holds promise and you gain enough faith in it, enough confidence in it, that you begin practicing. And this practicing the spiritual path can lead to this gladness, which when perfected can lead to piti, tranquility, sukha, concentration, and then knowing and seeing what's really happening, becoming disenchanted, becoming dispassionate, becoming liberated. And then, of course, dukkha has approximate cause. It does not lack approximate cause, and that is birth. And birth, well, we did all this already, right? So, uh, so the, the sutta goes back to the sankharas, which have approximate cause of ignorance. And then it talks about the same thing in the forward order. It was given initially in what's called the reverse order, which makes a lot more sense. We could say that in, where I was saying the word proximate cause, we could say that it has a necessary condition. Liberation has a necessary condition. That's dispassion. Dispassion has a necessary condition. That's disenchantment. Disenchantment has a necessary condition. That's knowing and seeing what's really happening. Then he goes in the forward order. And then it says, Just as when rain pours down in thick droplets on a mountaintop, the water flows down along the slope and fills the clefts, gullies, and creeks. These being filled up the pools, these being filled up the lakes, these being filled up the streams, these being full fill up the rivers, these being full fill up the great ocean. So too with ignorances, a necessary condition for sankharas, and the whole thing repeats all the way up to liberation and then the knowledge of the destruction of the taints. So this is the only place that it's laid out in the suttas in this great amount of detail. This transcendental dependent origination in all its detail occurs only in this particular sutta. But you find shortened versions of it in quite a number of suttas. In the Potapada Sutta, Potapada has a bunch of questions for the Buddha, uh, including the, the famous ten questions, is the world eternal or not, infinite or not, is the soul the same of the body or not, does the Tathagata exist after death or not, or both, or neither? And the Buddha's answer to each of these, I have not declared that this is so or not so. And then Potapada says, why not? And he says, this does not lead to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, <coughs> calm, liberation, nibbana. Well, what have you declared? This is dukkha, this is the origin of dukkha, this is the cessation of dukkha, this is the path of practice leading to the cessation of dukkha. Why have you declared that? Because it leads to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, calm, uh, 
calm insight, uh, liberation in Nibbana. So again, very similar to what we find here, the calm being in a different place, and I think referring more to once one's mind is dispassionate, you can calmly survey and truly see what's going on and let go. So that particular formula appears many, many times, but here it's spelled out in the greatest detail and points very much to what the Buddha is actually trying to say to us. In the graduated training, which I know Gil talked about when he discussed the Diganikaya number two, the fruits of the spiritual life, the Samanyapala Sutta, the Buddha says we need to start with morality, keeping the precepts, then guard the senses, have mindfulness and clear comprehension, be content with little, abandon the hindrances, work through the jhanas, then with a the concentrated mind, obtain knowledge and vision of what's really happening, and then that sutta skips directly to the abolishing of the taints with a little side bit about all the supernormal powers, which I think we can forget about, at least for today, because I don't know about that. But here we get a little bit more detail between the concentration and knowing and seeing what's happening. There needs to be this disenchantment, this ending of the spell of believing that the things of the world are going to bring us our lasting happiness, that this, if we just get it right, you know, get the right house and the right partner and the right job and the right, you know, that that'll make us happy. So we need to become disenchanted, break that spell, and then we can become dispassionate about this. doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, but your mind is no longer colored by this stuff. And then one can actually let go because one has seen for oneself nothing worth hanging on to. In fact, nothing that can be hung on to. So this is transcendental dependent origination, a spelling out of the path to awakening. Uh, any questions or comments? Translate intoxicants. Right. You usually will see it as taints in Bhikkhu Bodhi and fermentations in Tan Jeff's translations. But cankers, outflows. But I think intoxicants gives a much better sense. I'm not clear about um, the second asava becoming. I understand sense pleasures and ignorance. Okay, the intoxicant of becoming. We want to become in the sense we want to have a good sense of self in this lifetime. And we want to become a resident of one of the heavenly realms in the next lifetime. Or perhaps, if we're a Jain, we want to make sure we don't become in the next lifetime. So, remember, at the time of the Buddha, the spiritual aspect of what's going to happen after I die was a big deal. And this is what the various religions were, were teaching. And so, 
the Buddha says, yeah, you get intoxicated on this. You get intoxicated on planning for your next life. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have merge with Atman or you're going to, you know, not ever come back or you just have to keep coming back until fate takes care of it or whatever. The Buddha says, yeah, sober up. Don't start craving about becoming. So in our version of it, it would be like planning my next trip to the grocery store to get the chocolate ice cream? No, that would be sense pleasure. It would be more like uh, I need to, well, for me, I need to speak to the Sati Center there and uh, impress everyone about how much I know about dependent origination and then I will become more honored and revered. All right? So now I'm building a self around that. Okay? So uh, it's more like the self-constructing becoming in this life. But if we were to take a survey, which I will not do, of what people think about what happens after death, I think we might discover there's some views and opinions of becoming in the next life present in this room. Okay, and if we were to take such a survey out there in the world in general, we will find lots of very confident people that can tell you exactly what happens in the next life. In other words, they've got their becoming solidified there. And the Buddha says, no, you're just drunk. You're intoxicated on this stuff. Okay, thank you. I'm curious about the... um if there's any value in your mind to how psychotherapy relates to this practice. You know, so for example, I was just thinking about how uh, sometimes being able to see through something and be able to come to a place of disenchantment is based on an insight that comes out of a particular, let's say, methodology um, that that adds or enhances my practice. And so I just would love for you to talk about that. Yeah, I think that psychotherapy has a very important role to play. If what's causing some of your confusion is what we would call a psychological issue, then psychotherapy is, well, obviously the thing to work on. Uh, We have a lot of things that are coloring our views and are causing the spells that we're under. And addressing those from a psychological viewpoint needs to be done. Uh, I think about all of my friends and all the people I've known, and I think about, okay, who doesn't have any psychological problems? And you know, I can't think of a single one that doesn't have some sort of baggage or something there. Some of them have psychological baggage that seriously needs addressing. And some of them have done some work to address some of that stuff. But yeah, it's got to be addressed. I don't think it's sufficient, though. I think you're going to also need insights into the inconstant, impermanent nature of reality, Anicca, the unsatisfactory nature of all that's out there, Dukkha, and the empty nature of what's there, anatta. Those are the insights that are going to transform you enough so that you become disenchanted and dispassionate. But in order to see anicca, dukkha, anatta, it may certainly be necessary to address some of the psychological stuff that's in the way. 
In, in looking at this somewhat order, although you made it clear we shouldn't treat it as a rigid order, there seems to be um, different viewpoints, at least in American Buddhism, about the necessity of the jhanas as part of reaching liberation. And I'm right. wondering if you could talk about that a bit. The necessity of the jhanas. Well, in order to find out whether it's really true, we need to get a bunch of liberated people and ask them, did you use the jhanas or not? And how did you use it? And so forth. We seem to be a bit short on liberated people to do a proper survey. So my opinion, get yourselves liberated and then we can ask this question. Uh, That's a dodge. <laughs> I would say that if you have skills in concentration, the jhanas are a way that you can use those skills very effectively on the spiritual path. If you don't have skills in concentration, you probably have lots of other skills that you can use very effectively on the spiritual path. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And it's, yeah, a bit of a dodge. Because to tell you the truth... I don't know if they're absolutely necessary or not. I could argue very effectively for either viewpoint. But I know you can make a lot of progress and get yourself significantly down the path without them. But that if you can actually concentrate your mind in the way that the jhanas provide, it can be really helpful. You mentioned on the uh, graduated path after getting the mind concentrated, there's the, the three knowledges. Um, in terms of the, um, the uh, seeing the past lives and the arising and passing away of beings, do you think the Buddha was speaking metaphorically or that was, I mean, this is a big controversy these days. What, where do you weigh in, Lee? <laughs> okay, I'll give you a definitive answer. I won't dodge this one. All right, so... In, uh, all right, so I'll, I'll give you the whole thing. In, in some of the suttas, the Buddha is said to have passed through the f first four jhanas, and then in the first watch of the night, he remembered past lives. Second watch of the night, saw beings passing away or re-arising according to their karma. Third watch of the night, uh, formulated the Four Noble Truths and became enlightened. This occurs in Majjhima 4. 36, 85, and 100, all of which are addressed to lay people. The Night of Enlightenment is also addressed in Majjhima 26, and he doesn't say what he did. That was addressed to monks. And uh, the city, which I mentioned in the first talk, the Samyutta 1265, uh, he says on the Night of Enlightenment he was contemplating dependent origination. So, what do I think was going on? Well, let's do the math. For the first watch of the night, okay, so that's going to be three to four hours. Let's just take four hours. It says that he remembered one life, two lives, three lives, four lives, five lives, ten lives, a hundred lives, a hundred thousand lives, many eons of world expansion, many eons of world contraction, many eons of world expansion and contraction. Let's do the math. Well, we don't know how, what number to assign to the eons, right? So let's just do the hundred thousand. It says that for each life he remembered... His name, his clan, his occupation, his pleasure, his pain, his food, and how he died. Right? Seven things to remember 
So that's 700,000 things he's got to do in four hours. <laughs> Quickly do the math, and it comes up. He's got one forty-second of a second for each one of those. Each lifetime, he's got one-sixth. Now, that seems rather strenuous. And you can't say, but he was the Buddha, because, no, that's not going to happen for a few <laughs> more hours. I don't think we should take it literally. Right? The, the actual literal thing, he says he remembered previous dwellings. Not past lives, previous dwellings. And then he goes on to say he remembered, you know, name, clan, etc. for each of these. There's a lot on the spiritual path that I know I don't know. So I don't really know what's going on there. I'm quite content to leave it in the I don't know category with the speculation that he said something and it got misinterpreted and then elaborated because if you were a real guy and you know a real spiritual teacher at his time you needed to remember past lives and so he put that somebody put that in there and it may not have been in the original and that's about the best i can do as for seeing beings passing away and rearising according to their karma uh you know, it could be that he just was able to get a sense of, yeah, karmic things. Any action that you do has results, and he could see that this is playing out. Uh, I don't really know precisely what to make of it. I know that in most of the teachings, where it really lays out the path, uh, the supernormal powers, including walking on water and walking through walls and all these rememberings, don't seem to be necessary. So the jhanas might be necessary. Remembering past lives I don't think is necessary. So I wouldn't worry about it. Some uh, general knowledge in reading the suttas, um, Nona Olivier pointed this out, the last Sati Center event, Anytime they use words like 100,000 or 500, it just means a lot. Right. So don't, tra don't take it literally as that number. It just means a lot. Right. But this is so much that it becomes questionable to take the whole thing literally. Yeah. So. Just a lot. Just think A maybe. lot. Okay. If there's no further questions, it's now 12.15. How long do we want for lunch? How much you got to say? Oh, I got a lot to say. <laughs> An hour? An hour and a quarter? Right, so... We, We'll make it an hour, and the first thing we'll do is have uh, pudding.